That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, rockers. Today's guest is Kip Winger, bassist and lead vocalist for the rock band Winger. Together, we break down the smash hit single, Headed for a Heartbreak, taken from their 1988 self-titled debut album. Kip shared how he had completely written and recorded all the demos that the band went in and re-recorded for the first record. It was after it was recorded that they shopped the album around to a number of record labels, eventually signing with Atlantic Records. In such an image-driven time in music history with MTV being in its heyday, I always felt like this particular track stood out from Winger's contemporaries at the time. The progressive elements combined with drummer Rod Morgenstein's over-the-top drumming was a complete 360 to what was happening elsewhere and the hard rock and glam metal genres. Kip was very upfront and honest when talking about producer Bo Hill's role with the record. He captured the band doing what they do, but didn't have to go overboard with rewriting or arranging parts because the demos and songs were so solid from the get-go. And Kip talks about his early days playing bass for Alice Cooper and how jumping ship from that gig to set out on his own was a daunting prospect at the time, but something he felt he needed to do. For all this and a whole lot more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Kip, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Want to want to thank you uh, very much for sitting in uh, on the podcast. Been a big fan uh, for many years, and uh, just want to congratulate you on on all your success. Thank you. I'm sorry it took me so long to be able to actually do this. <laughs> well, you you've been you've been a little busy, man. You guys have been uh, been been gigging a lot. Yeah, we started doing some gigs when the stuff when the COVID stuff started opening up, uh, and we're really busy this month and next month. So that's good. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, before we get started here, I want to give everybody a little bit of history on Winger. Uh, Kip initially rose to fame as bassist for Alice Cooper, performing on Alice's Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell albums in 1986 and 1987, respectively. Just prior to that, 1984, Kip's first commercial break came when he co-wrote the song Bang Bang for Kix's third album, Midnight Dynamite, where he met producer Bo Hill, who would go on to play an integral part in Winger's career. After playing with Alice, Kip and keyboardist guitarist Paul Taylor, who also played with Alice Cooper, were joined by guitarist Reb Beach and drummer Rod Morgenstein, formerly of the Dixie Dregs, to form Winger. In 1988, the band, now signed with Atlantic Records, released their self-titled album to massive success, spearheaded by the singles Madeleine, 17, and the song we are going to break down today, Headed for a Heartbreak. The album, produced by Bo Hill, was a smash hit, going on to sell over one million copies. The band has released another five albums, the most recent being 2014's Better Days Coming. Kip has also had a very successful solo career, releasing six albums from 1997 through 2016. The band Winger continues to tour to this day. So that's my Winger history lesson, everybody. Uh, <laughs> thanks for bearing with me. And now we're going to rewind the clock all the way back and dive into Headed for a Heartbreak. Take us back to, to 1988 when, when you wrote this track. Uh, do, you, do you remember writing it? Yeah, I do. Reb and I were working in a studio in Upper East Side of New York and making demos for the first album. And I don't remember in the lineup of which number this song was, but I was messing around on the keyboard at one point and kind of came up with this Lydian thing. Uh, and I don't know. Look, a lot of times the the things just fall into your hands. I mean, any great artist will tell you that the best ideas happen by accident. So, I mean, yeah, uh, the riff fell in my hands and I just kind of played the verse riff over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And a lot of times I'll come up with an idea and I don't know what to do with it for days or sometimes months and in some cases years. Yeah. But uh, that one kind of came together in probably a month or so. 
And now when you were doing these demos, was Bo Hill involved in this stage or was this just between you and Reb? It was just between me and Reb. I mean, Bo was involved in terms of encouraging us to write, but no, nothing beyond that. Um, you know, I produce all the demos. I don't know if you ever heard the demo anthology. So, you know, that was all me and producing that all of that stuff so the album actually the demo for headed for heartbreak is in better is better than the album in many ways in my opinion You know, a lot of times when you do a demo, you capture all the magic, right? And so if you go in the studio, then to like try to recreate the magic, I mean, it's impossible, you know? Mm -hmm. it, like I say, in many ways, the demo's better, although it had a drum machine and stuff. I was really into programming. I had a Lin 9000 that was converted. There was a guy named Forat who changed the Lin 9000, and I got really into the drum programming and stuff. Um, and, you know, the demo sounds good. And, you know, Reb's original solo is on that demo, so... We had to recreate it all when we went into Atlantic Studios for the album, and I actually don't think it's as good, to be honest with you. That's interesting. I can I can relate to that because, like you said, sometimes sometimes you capture that magic, uh, that initial guttural <laughs> thing that you put down uh, on. In this instance, tape. This is before Pro Tools, so uh, you you put that down, and then you try to go recreate it, and you just can't capture the same magic. Right. It's a it's a problem. So I've. I've long not, it's been a long time since I've made demos, you know, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to, like, for example, we're making a new album right now and I'm, we write the songs and the second we get the arrangement together, I have Reb lay down the guitar tracks for the rhythms and then I'll put a bass on. Although I always redo the bass after the drums, but I capture as much of it as we go that I can to use as masters. And I've been doing that since... Winger 4, really, because on Pull, we had a bunch of uh, demos as well, and then we went in with Mike Shipley, although in that case, in every case on Pull, we beat the demo, so um, Mike Shipley was just a masterful person to be in the studio with. That's great. Well, that that record sounds awesome, and I, I've seen some of you, yours and Reb's uh, uh, jams uh, on, on social media, on Instagram, where you guys just turn the camera on and go, and it's it, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, very cool. Uh, the pull record, just—I mean, I, I had a hard time picking picking a song. I I, I think you guys are, are one of the the bands from uh, uh, back in the day that have continued to get better at their craft and songwriting. I think Karma and I think Four uh, is fantastic and some of the band's best stuff. Thank you. I love Pull Down Incognito, of course the the, the classics Madeleine Seventeen. But I went with Headed for a Heartbreak Kit because I felt like this track. It really sets you guys apart from what was going on. Yeah, you had MTV. You were you were you were put on there and lumped into the hairband thing. But there was so much more to you guys. J just Rod Morgenstein alone, uh, his background with the Dixie Dregs and what he brought to the band. Reb is a, a virtuoso. You know, let's not not forget Paul Taylor and 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 yourself. I mean, you coming from your classical, uh, you know, background. And this song had those progressive elements, and it was just it made you guys stand out. And I felt that was the the, the track to talk about today. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, the other thing, the other standout about this song is that it had a really long guitar solo in the end and it, and it actually made it on the radio. And back then that was, I know of, that was kind of unheard of, you know, <laughs> and it was kind of the fact that it was in a certain kind of mode and it had a certain kind of feeling and stuff really, uh, I think it set it apart. I mean, you know, I'm proud of the track for sure. It's interesting because Atlantic wanted to, Part, half of the radio promoters back then it was all radio promotion half of them at, at Atlantic Records wanted to have Without the Night be the third single We had one guy at Atlantic named Danny Bush who was a the AOR radio guy, and he was like, "No, you got to go with Headed. It's going to set you apart." You know, he was really instrumental in making that track the single. And so, you know, we really owe it to Danny Bush uh, for making that the single and having it, you know, create that element of legacy. 
especially at the end, you know, Rod kind of goes off and does his thing. And oh, yeah. It showed the muso as element of our band. As history has proven, it was the right track to go with. I love Without the Night. I mean, that whole first record, State of Emergency, Hungry, there's so many, so many great tracks. But as far as the ballad goes, uh, Headed did set you guys apart. It was one of those things where it was just like, man, these guys can play. There's just, it's just, it was completely obvious. And just, I love uh, parts of this song where, you know, it it's just the bass and, and the keys and there's Reb soloing. It's not like you got all these extra layers. It was like, th- this is what the band sounded like. And I think that it, it uh, in the eighties, uh, you didn't see that a lot, especially in the, in your genre. Yeah. It's funny. Um, Duff McKagan at one point pulled me aside and said, man, I really don't like bands like you. And but that one song, man, that Head for a Heartbreak's a great tune. And I, I appreciated that because coming from somebody in that faction, you know, uh, I think that was very telling. Yeah, so, I mean, I, like, I'm like i very proud of the track. I, I, uh, I stole the title from a friend of Paul's who wrote a song called, I can't remember what the title was. It wasn't Headed for a Heartbreak. It might have been Headin' for a Heartbreak. I thought, wow, what a great title. I'm like, can you copyright a title? And so I was like, I gave him credit on the album, but um, I do admit that I that I grabbed that title from, from somebody else and then made it my own, you know. It's like there's a million Heartbreaker songs out there, but... Um, right. And then we always, of course, people always go, man, I love that song, uh, Heading for a Heartache or whatever the Depp Leopard track is, you know. So when you were with Alice doing those records constrictor and raise your fist and yell around 86 87 uh were you like writing and, and doing demos for this first winger record or was that after you left his band that you, that you set out to, to pursue this or was that already kind of in the works were you kind of going back to the tour bus in the hotel and the song that did carry over was without the night because paul and i when we met we started writing in hotel rooms and paul had a little ansonic keyboard and um he uh had this idea and I took the idea and then and then we parted ways actually and I finished it later and I borrowed a bunch of miles away melody in the chorus of of uh, without the night so it's very similar when you listen to it and I didn't like rip it off but I mean I unconsciously was singing miles away you know without the night this would be so much easier so miles away, no, you're never turning back. It was basically the same. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I don't know if Reb is, song, is credited on Without the Night, but, you know, Paul and I wrote that. Uh, but other than that, we got, you know, Reb and I in the studio started fresh. I mean, the first song we, I don't remember the first song. I always say, well, the first riff that Reb ever played me was 17. You know, he wrote, he wrote that when he was 15. He was like, I never knew what to do with it, so... We worked on that and amazing riff. (laughs) And then, you know, we came up with a bunch of other stuff, Madeline and state of emergency. I had state of emergency idea from previous demos but I just took the title and, you know, we rewrote the track. Well, again, again, like I said, I had I had a hard time picking what track. I mean, there's even a, uh, you know, a deep album cuts such as Rainbow and the Rose. I mean, that's another one that just the progressive elements in that song. It's such a beautiful piece of music. But getting back into the track, I'm just going to read this intro part. Um, the track's five minutes and 13 seconds. The whole band's in. There's a really cool guitar slide and simultaneous drum fill to start uh, the song. The keyboards are predominant here, playing a hook that is heard throughout the choruses of the song. Uh, it's about a... 22 second intro uh, at about the nine second mark. Kip lets out a spirited uh, yeah <laughs> that, uh, that that sets up the first verse at the 22 second mark. came and I was on my way when you reminded me I had too soon forgotten it was you that set me free was this written about a particular love interest 
No. <laughs> I just I was just uh, writing words because I was trying to crank them out at the time. I mean, everything that I've written has ba- some basis in truth. I you know, I wish I could I was going to sound like this intelligent Einstein genius type going, <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking about this on those lyrics and stuff, but it was I knew the title was going to be headed for a heartbreak, and I thought, okay. I wanted to write something like Ramble On, and I think I even used that title in the song. You do, yeah. I was going I, I to ask about the Zeppelin reference later. That, right, that's so cool. the, first line, the first verse was just a setup. But then you were here when I came, and you'll be here when I'm gone. So don't be waiting for love, because I'll be waiting to ramble on. That's really the essence of the tune. Yeah, you were here when By the way, not until like three years ago did I even get the double entendre about you were here when I came and you'll be here when I'm gone. I totally was thinking, hey, I came to your place and I left and I didn't even think of the other side of what that means. Yeah. Well, then that's what I wanted to ask you in a moment. The the, the first part of this verse with I, that I just read lyrics to. I like it because it breaks down to just keys, bass, drums, and vocals. Um, it sounds like there's keyboard pads off to the left, and either a keyboard, I, definitely a keyboard panned right, but is there a guitar, maybe arpeggio panned right there, do you know, in, uh, no, in that first part no, of the verse? No, I had this giant stack of uh, Roland keyboard modules, ah. D50, and well, Yamaha, I had a Yamaha, one of those, I don't remember what the models were, it was like eight uh, modules in a rack. I had a D50, Juno 106, and a couple other, and Sonic, some weird keyboards, and I, it's a giant MIDI stack. It's really buried off to the right. That's why I said maybe outside chances of guitar. It sounds more like a keyboard, and, not, and the, the, the keyboard pads off to the left are more predominant, but I love how that breaks down. And then, you know, it's really the second half, I think, of the verse, but I'm calling it the pre-chorus, and it's when the guitars kick in. Uh, yeah, you were here when I came, and you'll be here when I'm gone, uh, so don't be waiting for love, because I'll be waiting to ramble on. And I love when the guitars come in there. It's 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 so heavy, but... They're not that loud. It's interesting. They're not that forefront in the mix, but 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 it gets heavy. Reb has a genius ability to just come up with a lick in the middle of nowhere and make shit work. He's extremely musical. Yeah. And that shit just flies off the top of his head. I mean, that was very a, a magical moment when he. I was like, okay, let's break it down. Uh, I, I was speaking to Reb, you know, um, what. Uh, down here so we well the song came alive when i was i i came up with i mean i wrote the whole song but i don't know if you can hear this yeah i can there it is that yeah and i I recorded that on keyboards and then when reb played along with it on that lick is really when the song came alive um, yeah, and it was in a weird key. It's all black keys. It's a, a, a um, you know uh, G flat A flat. Of course, we play it tr- transposed down a key. We recorded in E flat, and then now we play in D. But this is how I wrote it. And then. A weird modulation to the verse. Yeah. It's like a relative minor up to a B, right? So it's a Lydian. So this was deep in this whole thing where I was trying to come up with interesting chord changes and, and uh, not be the cliche thing. Yeah, and, and again, that that's why I picked this tune. This song just, nobody was doing that. You know, when you looked past, 
I mean, you lived it. It was it was so image driven what was going on. That's how MTV and, and radio were selling records then. But uh, if you peel back the exterior of your band, the, the depth of talent and just what you were doing just now, those those uh, those pa- pa- patterns, it, they, it, just, it set you guys apart. I appreciate that. Um, I think the most interesting thing about the song. after the second chorus and half step modulation yes <laughs> and what was nice about it is that um, I'd resolve on what was really like the two of the verse and it mm-hmm. and it just comes back to the verse So, like I say, it was one of those weird accidents that just kind of fell into my hands. I, I don't even remember. Like, the first thing I did was sit down and went like this. And I was like, it just happened immediately. Yeah. Like you said, sometimes, and I've heard it so many times on, on, on this show, uh, those magic moments, it just comes out of nowhere and, and, and it goes from uh, heart and brain to fingers. <laughs> it's the keys. You know, at the time, I was like, is this even a chorus? I didn't even realize that it was a good chorus. I thought, is it really powerful enough? I was thinking, should we break into some, like, cliche uh, thing? Mm-hmm. I thought, you know. Well, and, and that's what I want to talk about next. So at the 51-second mark, so this chorus hits you pretty quick, uh, right prior to it, that line, that uh, Zeppelin reference, because I'll be waiting to ramble on, there's a really killer octave guitar lead-up. Uh, that leads up to the chorus there. I love what Reb does there. It just it, It's just a very tasty part. And uh, this is when the uh, first harmonies come in. It's it's headed for a heartbreak. That lyric uh, is twice. And after you say headed for a heartbreak, that's when the main keyboard hook comes in uh, again. So it, it it's showing up not you know in the intro, but it's coming back in the choruses, which is which is cool. Yeah. So that was really the hook. I mean, yeah. That was the, when, like I say, when Reb played along with that, that that's when the song came alive. So the chorus had a double hook. Only it it was one was a musical hook and one was a vocal hook up to this point do you remember how much the demo had changed and and what bo hill brought to this did did he have a lot to do with what was going on up to this up to this part in the song the chorus nothing no listen to the demo it's exactly the same yeah all we did was recreate what i did in the demo the only suggestion that he made on the whole first album was to speed up madeleine which was brilliant Uh, madeleine was originally very slow but all we did was recreate what I did on the demos. That's not to take away from his abilities because he was extremely talented. And I'd been working with him since I was 16, met him in Denver, recorded countless demos with him on his band and worked kind of under him. I was kind of like his protege for years. He taught me a lot. That's cool. Super great, great keyboardist, uh, a lot of great song ideas. Um, good engineer. I mean, he taught me, you know, one of his quotes was never leave yourself at the mercy of anyone. So it was kind of like encouraging me to to learn how to engineer and all that stuff. So not to take anything away from him, but by the time I wrote the first album, I I did it all my, you know, it was all me. I mean, Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to make the podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a One Hit Wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the One Hit Thunder or was nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts. 
So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. And now, back to the show. Getting into verse two. Uh, Darling, don't wait up for me. Tonight I won't be home. You've become a stranger. I just got to be alone. By the way, I think that's the most relatable lyric in the whole song. I think a lot of people feel like that. You know, when relationships start out, uh, it's very passionate, and then you end up feeling more alone in the relationship than you are if you're actually alone, you know? It's crazy that you pointed that out. I have, I have, it, I have it started on the sheet here. That was, I was like, this really to me is, is, is what, uh, is what the song's about. This, this lyric and this verse. It is, and and the very last line, you know, don't you mm-hmm. think I feel the pain? Because it's like, yeah. I present as this like the heartless, you know, don't don't fuck with me because you're head for a heartbreak. But at the end of it, I say, don't you think I feel the pain? Which is like, you know, inside I'm dying, but I'm not going to show you, you know. Yeah. That uh, vulnerability that uh, we, we as songwriters some, sometimes have. Again, you know, this, this second verse, it sounds like the first verse. There's not much else going on. It's kind of stripped down in the second half, which I'm calling the pre-chorus. Uh, don't need nobody on my side to dull the blade I'm on. Don't be waiting for love because I'll be waiting to ramble on again. And that octave guitar comes in there. And what I love about the second chorus is uh, it's not like it's a double chorus. You're getting headed for a heartbreak three times with uh, the keyboard hook, the hook of the song. Uh, after each time you say it, the harmonies are there. But I love the last time you say headed for a heartbreak on break. The melody changes there on the word break. And that's the part you were just playing that modulates into that bridge part. Yeah, I had a composition teacher in New York named Edgar Grana, who was like, listen, do things in threes, because if you do them in fours, it's boring. Like, Because he was referring to Bach. Like, a lot of times Bach will do things three times, because the fourth time around, the brain is like, okay, I heard that. Like, what's next? You know, you only need a few yeah. times. You know, you don't need that many times to get it, you know. So keep them moving, you know. Uh, uh what is it? No. It's actually the same melody. I just don't change the chord. I then I go down to a half step, which is shocking in a way. Yeah. It's weird because that half step actually feels like a resolve, but it's it's a half step down. So that's the kind of miracle in music that you can just twist something in a very slight way and it and it completely changes the energy field. Yeah, and this is probably my my favorite part of the song when it lifts there and just the way you sing this lyric, it's no mistake. Don't you think I can feel the pain? I walk away to live again. love love the feel of that part and it's a really short bridge there's there's not too much there but it but to, to me it's the perfect length yeah i i think it says it and and i think people could relate to a lot of people can relate to that i walk away to live again that's that's really you know the human condition is is if you're in a certain situation and it's just not working for you you're just dying you know so and when you were in the studio tracking this, did you have any of the suits, the label heads, A and R guy coming down to to listen to the tracks? And no, no, no. We we made the record and, and then showed the record to everybody when we were finished. Cool. Bo had a unique relationship with Atlantic, where he was really we never had a, like a proper A and R person. We went right to Doug Morris, the president of the label. Bo had a lot of clout because he had produced Rat, and they were you know doing very uh-huh. well, and. Listen, the truth is, is that Doug Morris had heard every one of my demos for years and Bo was, you know, very gracious in trying to get me a record deal. And 
pushing my stuff and nobody wanted to hear my stuff. It's like, don't play me another Kip Winger song. He actually <laughs> said that to him when Bo played the de- when Bo played the demos. But he heard State of Emergency and thought, well, this sounds pretty good. And it was just like, look, just give us a bare bones deal and we'll prove ourselves to you. And so we had the luxury of being in the studio and not getting fucked with by anybody telling us that's that they, that's that, awesome that they didn't hear a hit or that, that, whatever i know because I, I know how that is <laughs> yeah you know you, you get too many cooks in the kitchen it's like you've been working in, you and your bandmates and, and and sometimes the producer and then uh all of a sudden the suits walk in and just turn everything upside down and it, it's it's not a great uh, not a well, great thing listen when, when you know when grunge hit and we we were not in fashion we were doing pull we got an anr guy assigned to us who came into our rehearsal and was like man in Blind Revolution Mad, it was like, you know, when I sing uh, Jawbreaking Lawmaker, having your way. He was like, you need a word right there at the top of the line, like love. <laughs> he said he suggested love. And we were like, what? You know, having your way, love. I'm singing fucking Blind Revolution Mad. You know, here's this A&R guy going, put the word love there. You know, it's like. Yeah. Go write your own fucking songs, dude, you know. Yeah, which is another great track from the Pole record. Disclaimer, I mean, that's not to say that there's been great A&R people, Jimmy Iovine and and John Kolodner and these types. I was just never lucky enough to have one of them, you know. Yeah. There have yeah. been many, many great A&R people and that that artist development position is gone now and it's kind of a tragedy uh, that it is. Although the internet's made it possible for so many people to just, you know, break on their own. But, you know, we got this guy that didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> which which happens um, at the two minute and 10 second uh, part of the song. So, you know, the, the track's 513. We're only halfway through and we're at, at a guitar solo. Bass, keyboards and drums are, are playing basically the verse uh, progression here. There's no other guitars. It's just Reb doing this really tasteful solo uh and and rod's kind of starting to to break out and do do his rhythmic thing here as well uh and rev does a really cool run leading up to chorus three uh while kip gives us uh, you give us the spirited o that heads into chorus three Extended chorus. It's headed for a heartbreak, headed for a heartbreak. Uh, there's harmonies on both of that. Then you're alone on the line. Don't make me hurt you. Uh, it's the first time we get that lyric uh, in the song. Uh, headed for a heartbreak uh, with a harmony. Well, I know you're. It's, it's uh, you alone. Headed for a heartbreak. And then the drums stop on break. There's a little guitar feedback and a keyboard swell that goes into that part you were talking about a moment ago, Kip. That lyric. Don't you think I feel the pain? Right here, we're at the three-minute mark of the song, and it's remarkable, remarkable that the last two minutes and 14 seconds are a guitar solo with Rod just going off at certain moments, and the fact that you were able to get that uh, played on radio and MTV, I mean, that's it, it's a really interesting arrangement. Two things. Um, Rod played it real straight, and we were like, come on, do your thing, man. Like, let her rip. And he was like, really? You know, so he, he you know, he was kind of surprised that we wanted to let him rip, but we were like, we got you in the band because you're Rod Morgenstein. Fucking let it rip, you know? Yeah. And uh, there's a part there at the end. I I, I wrote here in the notes that uh, it's the, I think the 344 mark where it almost sounds like the track's going off the rails rhythmic wise. It doesn't sound like he could get back on beat, but he somehow does. 
yeah. such a cool well, part. Rod's, yeah, Rod's amazing at, at that. He can timing wise, he can he's basically play anything and and bring it back to one. But the second half of the equation is there was a dude named Rick Krim over at MTV that was a huge Dixie Dregs fan and was instrumental in helping us get on MTV originally. And so, you know, when Headed for Heartbreak came along, you know, it was one of those things where a perfect storm, you know. Um, yeah. We were able to get get that whole, like, muso statement out there and also have the, quote, suits be behind it, you know, because we had a lot of momentum at that time, too, you know. Well, this this outro, you know, I, I had written in my notes, it really shows the band's progressive uh, side. Um, and I noticed, uh, and I remember, I should say, uh, that this song ended the record. So it's almost fitting that the tune had this long outro. It's kind of like a coda, uh, a stamp on the end of the record. Was was that why it was chosen to, to end the album? Yeah, it is. And I've also created a tradition of doing that to put these kind of songs last on the album. Yeah. Witness and... and uh... Did anybody from the label or MTV or, or the, you know, the radio stations that were picking the track up, did any of them have issue with this length and want to cut down this, this ending? Yeah, for sure. But... Um... Because that was a big thing back then. You know, they still do it today, but radio edits were huge in the 80s and 90s. Back then, it was like, it wasn't pop radio. It was like AOR, so they were digging it. And Danny Bush, like I said, he was very instrumental in pushing the track as it was. And also, we kept it in the video. So the video played, and the video was popular, and so they left it on radio. Richie Sambora yeah. actually came up to Reb at one point and said, dude, you're the luckiest guitar player in rock. You get like a giant solo on the radio you know, like it's very <laughs> rare you know well yeah not 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 only does he get a a, a 30 uh 35 36 second solo uh in, in the middle of the song but then he gets the the two minutes at the end which is just again uh this is really a three minute pop song with a two a two minute outro it's it's really different right well, you know, I love the track. Again, there was a I'm a fan and there's a ton of your songs that I I wrestled with. Uh, my producer, Chris, I'm like, should we do Miles Away? Should we do this? And and uh, ended up going with this one. I just thought it was really interesting and, and really set you guys uh, apart from the pack of what, what was going on. Then you, there was just so much more to winger uh, behind the exterior of, of uh, you know, the look of, of all the other bands and what was going on. And uh uh, again, want to thank you for, for, for sitting in today. And if there's anything that you'd like to leave the listeners with, what's going on with the band? You said you got a new record coming out? We're three quarters of the way through a new album. And uh, I sh uh, you know, should be finished with it sooner than later. Don't know exactly when it's coming out, but I think you know we've got some good songs on there. I've tried to you know, keep the level. I always try to keep the bar rising. And uh, on a personal level, I... I'm uh, writing a violin concerto for the Nashville Symphony, and um, I'm going to be making an album with them. I, I wrote my first symphony that'll be premiered in March 17th in Nashville at the Nashville Symphony. So Congratulations. I've got both worlds actively cooking, and um, like I say, the, the new Winger album should be out sooner than later. I'm a, like I say, I'm about three, three quarters of the way finished. And, you know, everybody, please, you know, please go like our pages and subscribe to the YouTube channel and stuff. That would be very helpful. For sure. And one last thing I want to say, I just want to, want to give props to you. Uh, you. You sound like you, you did back in the 80s, man. There's not a lot of guys that, uh, you know, the, the older we get, I know the, the, the voice is a muscle and uh, you're just, you're killing it. I've, I've seen some of the live videos recently and, and you, you close your eyes, you sound like you did 30 years ago. So that's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And Reb, the, the harmonies, they're just killer. <laughs> I haven't had a drink since 2012. And that, I, you know, I used to drink and I couldn't sing anymore, man. It was killing my voice. And I was like, screw this. So I quit drinking and my voice came back, you know. I had a lot of trouble. <laughs> I had a lot of trouble, like 2010-ish. Quit yeah. drinking and I just, uh, I warm up all the time and and uh you know just try to keep it going yeah you sound great and uh, again thank thank you so much well thank you for having me good luck to you guys hey everybody don't touch that dial there's plenty more chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors hello everybody i'm bruce and i'm nolan and this is the corner of gray street podcast as longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, 
but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Debt Cemetery, a five-piece melodic punk band from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Featuring Davey Knight on lead vocals, Eddie Knowlton on rhythm guitar and backing vocals, Nick McDougall on the drums, Alex Guimond on bass and backing vocals, and Bill Morton on lead guitar and backing vocals. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Bandcamp. Here's a snippet of their song, Daved and Confused. Chris and Chris. Well, man, I sound like a broken record, but that was another great episode. But I have to tell people about this up front. When Kip came on, <laughs> there was two instances right from the start where I think he was very deadpan being funny, but he was kind of like, hey, man, fuck you to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> but I, I know. I was, was like, just... oh, this is going to be one of those. I'm like, he's not going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually nice. I think he he was just being funny, but he was very good at being like very deadpan about it because at first I was like, what the hell is going on here? But yeah, I thought it was a great episode regardless. It was, you know, if you would have told me in 1988 when I was a sophomore in high school that I would be interviewing this huge star that was all over MTV uh, some 33 years later, <laughs> I would have told you that you were absolutely out of your mind. Chris, we've talked about this before. I'm notoriously not a hair metal guy at all, but this particular song that you're talking about, Headed for a Heartbreak, I remember it from when I was a kid, but I think you kind of brought this up to Kip as well, but it seems like it's a lot more than that. There's a lot more substance to this song. And even when Kip broke out the keys and started playing along and the, the way he talked about the song, you could tell that, yeah, their style fit into the hair metal thing, obviously, but there's a lot more substance to their music than that. Well, they're another band kind of like Enough's Enough that you had to look the part to get on MTV. You know, you had to have that look. If you had short hair and you were just dressed like you were off the street, uh, you didn't have as great of a chance of getting on the show. Uh, and MTV was such a vehicle for selling records, as we all know back then. It was the, the biggest way that you could br break your band at that time. And, you know, fairly or unfairly, they got lumped in with that. But there was a lot... Uh, behind that band uh, again Rod Morgenstein the drummer uh, incredible played with uh, uh, you know the Dixie Dregs which were a band that had been around for years that uh, you know cut cut their teeth in all the clubs he had played every gig he, you know Rod was probably close to 40 when he joined Winger uh, then you had Red Beach who's just an, an incredible guitarist and Kip has that uh, you know classical background he studied ballet and uh, producer Bo Hill took him under his wing uh, as his protege at like 16 years old and developed him told him to keep writing uh, he ended up uh, writing for you know I had mentioned uh, in the intro he had wrote for for kicks this band that had some hits in the later 80s and and uh, from there you know co-writing uh, that song uh, got on the Alice Cooper gig and from there uh, did all those demos that became uh, became the first winger record yeah it's crazy I had no idea that he played in Alice Cooper's band and what's funny Chris is usually you have me send you notes beforehand on the band any any notable things that you might or might not know about the artist that we're having on that week but this week you were like 
nope, I don't need any notes. I know everything about Winger. I was like, good enough, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, they and I didn't get into it because Kip's heard this too many times over, over the years. But, uh, you know, they got uh, lambasted by by uh, Beavis and Butthead. You know, they were the butt of the jokes. And you had Lar- Lars Ulrich, I think, in the Nothing Else Matters uh, empty, you know, uh, Metallica video uh, throwing darts at a Kip Winger dartboard. Uh, you know, and it was just they were they were looked at uh, as everything that was wrong in, in the 80s. That, that was passe and it was just, you know, pomp and circumstance and all this poofy hair. But again, pull all that back. Uh, uh, wonderful musicianship in this band. Just amazing players. Great band. Yeah, that seems like it may have been a little bit misdirected is like, yeah, they were part of the whole hair metal thing that was easy to make fun of. But maybe they were the wrong band to be making fun of because the actual uh, musicality was there. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of those bands didn't have the uh, whatever you want to call it, the the background and the, the, uh, the know-how or, or well, they, whatever. They, that, they didn't. A that band did. that was bigger than them sold more records uh, was Poison and just notoriously not a great band. Um, you know, I think Brett's gotten a lot better over the years as a vocalist. Uh, certainly works his ass off, Brett Michaels. I mean, the guy's just a workaholic and has built a wonderful career for himself, but that band could not hold a candle to the musicianship and winger. They just couldn't. And, you know, again, I picked this song because it had those progressive elements, and and what a weird track, three, this three-minute pop song with a, a two-minute guitar solo outro where, to where you got uh, the likes of Richie Sambora coming up to <laughs> to Red Beach and the band and saying, I can't believe you got a, you know, not only did you get a solo within the first three minutes of the song but you have a two minute outro solo i can't i can't get more than a 25 second bon jovi solo on the on the radio that's pretty strange it's pretty cool that the song stood on its own enough that despite that despite the strange structure it was still a hit and um one thing i took away from this episode chris is when kip was talking about doing things in threes because four times is too many and you'll get bored yeah three is just the right amount now i know that that probably doesn't work every time but i just thought that was interesting because yeah two might seem like too short but i could see four of something being too many and i just i don't know that's like the that's like the one thing he said that i was like huh interesting <laughs> yeah it's not it's not a general rule but it was something that uh and those kinds of things always pop out to me because i have the lyrics printed and i have my notes and i'm like whoa this chorus is twice this one's three times and then the last chorus in this song isn't even four times it's like five and a half but the refrain you know headed for a heartbreak is is still only repeated like three times but it's all the lyrics in between that kip was singing uh which which drags that third chorus out so it's a was a very different arrangement the bridge is really short in this song but uh but so cool how it modulates to to that key change in the bridge that that, that kip was showing us so uh i enjoyed it man he was he was very humble he you could tell he wanted to do the episode you never know how you're gonna with any guests that you don't know if they're gonna want to be here if they think oh it's just another interview <laughs> I don't want to do this. And uh, he he was he was into it. And, and I gave him praise at the end. Uh, he just turned 60 in June. And if you pull up some recent YouTube videos of me, you close your eyes. You see, and, and he sounds like he's uh, uh, it's, it's still 1988. His voice is amazing. Yeah, definitely. He looks great, too. I got to say the guy, you know, when he watches old music videos, he's a handsome guy. And then he came on the thing. I'm like, oh, that's a good looking guy. I would have never guessed that he was 60. So. Yeah, just just turned 60. And uh, they're they're still out there doing it, man. Props to them. Yeah, man. And speaking of being out there doing it, you've been out there doing those custom songs, right? Absolutely. And we're getting close to the December holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, all the rest of them. If you want a custom song for me, hit me up, makes at gmail.com. I'd love to write one for you. That special someone, a coworker, a foe, a friend. Uh, get your orders in because I'd like to get them to you uh, by the holidays. Again, that's makes at gmail.com. And uh, what else you got going on, Chris, that you'd like to talk about? It's a, it's, it's a busy month. It is a busy month, Chris. I was just thinking thinking that I would like to get I'd like to get a custom song for you for one of my foes. <laughs> I, get, <laughs> I haven't actually, I haven't actually written one of those yet, but uh, that'd be fun. That would be awesome if you <laughs> if someone hired you to, to write a song for an enemy. Uh, but that's an idea for anyone out there for that last minute enemy gift. 
Uh, hit up Chris. Yeah, do, do, do you hate your boss? I'd love to write one for your boss. Dude, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, Chris, at the end of these episodes, we always like try to plug something that you or I have going on. And I was thinking, hey, if anyone out there has Amazon Prime and you haven't yet, my band Punchline has a music special on there, which you can watch for free with part of your subscription right now. Just search for Punchline Music Special. And then after you watch that, you can see me again on Amazon Prime. Search for the movie Back for Good. I am the seventh build in this movie, maybe the sixth. I got a bunch of lines in that movie, man. Back for Good and the Punchline Music Special. I'm all over Amazon Prime, man. George Clooney, eat your heart out. Chris Falios is on your heels. That's right. <laughs> he is on, That's right. on your heels. I still love uh, when you walk the red carpet of the movie premiere, man. You were all dappered up. I was proud of you, man. I was proud. I was dapper as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. And again, I, I, I feel like a broken record here, but we have so much fun. Please, if you haven't already, join our Facebook Krista Makes a Podcast group. It is awesome. Almost 4,000 active members at this point. Give me a follow on Instagram at Less Than Christy, and I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Kip Winger. Uh, awesome episode, and we'll see you next week. If you're a fan of fierce, honest, in-your-face rock music, check out another cheetah. Based out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, another cheetah lives to plug in, turn up, and rock out. Why do I destroy myself? You'd be much better off to someone else. Another cheetah, streaming now on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever else you listen to music. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.